Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, quarter wheat markets found a little bit of support while soybeans traded a little bit lower and cattle pushed back to the downside on Thursday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for being with us here today. Always great to have a conversation about what's happening in the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and coming up here on today's program, we are going to dive into the markets with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. We'll also uh, be joined by David Widmar, economist with Agricultural Economic Insights. Uh, both of them are going to join us uh, here coming up on the show today. We'll talk with David Widmar in segment two, and then we'll talk with Brian Doherty in segment three and four as we look at the uh, broader market trade, the farm economy with David Widmar and more here as we wrap up the month of November and move into the month of December. Hard to believe it's the final month of the year of 2023 already, but looking forward to uh, some great conversations on the program today. Let's kick things off, though, here on today's show with a little bit of market analysis from Thursday's trade action. I talked with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, around the midday hour on Thursday as we were watching some decent support in corn and wheat trade. Once again, wheat uh, trading higher all week long so far after we set, well, almost all week long after we set new lows on Monday and uh, seeing a nice turnaround in wheat. We talk about that as well as uh, get a look at crude oil. That's been a little volatile uh, through Thursday's session with an OPEC Plus meeting ongoing. And then we talk about the roller coaster in the cattle market trade. Here are those comments, analysis from our midday commentary with Arlen Suderman of Stonex starting with the grains. Well, we recently put in new multi-year lows for corn and wheat prices, and apparently that was good for picking up some demand. We had seen a, a resurgence in ocean freight rates, so that suggested that perhaps prices had gotten down to a level that it was starting to attract buying on the world market. And that certainly appears to be the case with USDA reporting uh, a surge in buying during the week ending November 23rd with exporters selling uh, 75.9 million bushels of corn, 69.6 million bushels of soybeans, and 22.9 million bushels of old crop wheat, in addition to 7.3 million bushels of grain sorghum. China was one of the featured buyers during the week, which is a little bit of surprise in some of the cases. We had heard uh, chatter about them in buying wheat, and they bought several different classes of wheat, and there may be more to show up uh, in next week's a weekly report from USDA as well. Uh, the markets not let me say not weren't originally overly impressed. We didn't have an explosion of prices higher, but I think it was more of 
okay, we're down at these levels. Speculative funds have big short positions in corn and wheat. They've been starting to uncover those positions in wheat, now doing so in corn. Does this mean we have put in a bottom or is this just another regrouping before we go to new lows? That's the question mark right now before the markets. So for today, that gives us some support and then we'll see how far the uh, algos take it and whether that's enough to really turn the charts for good or not. Crude oil, I know we have the OPEC Plus meeting going on. I'm hearing some chatter about more cuts to production. What are you hearing? I see crude oil down a little over 2% in midday trade right now. Yeah, the the reports have been fairly favorable. First of all, um, maybe not so favorable for us is it looks like Brazil's going to join OPEC Plus come January. So they were in. That's important because this meeting today is to discuss cuts from January forward. It looks like Saudi Arabia, from initial reports, is going to continue to roll over its voluntary one million barrel per day cut, and that that's going to be added with another million barrel per day, perhaps a half million from Russia and then another half million from other member countries of OPEC plus. So it's a total of two million barrels per day, although just an, a one million barrel increase in the cuts from where we're at right now. Um, so uh, on the one hand, you would think that that would be supportive and that's part of what's been priced in here in recent days. But on the other hand, the fact that they're having to cut output by so much is an indication of weak demand. And I think so is a buy the rumor, sell the fact type of a response in the market down about 3% midday for crude oil prices as the markets are again back to worrying about this uh, deterioration in global demand for crude oil as the world economy continues to struggle and, and just was noted by China having some weak economic data out again this morning. Looking over at cattle trade, the roller coaster ride continuing in futures down again on Thursday. Any thoughts as to this volatility here ongoing in cattle? Yeah, we did see some more cattle trade this morning at roughly 174, which is well above the December contracts, several dollars above where the December contract is trading now. Um, but we're still in a consolidation mode. And this kind of continues the, the ladder that we've been on here over the last couple of months or we go down a sharp leg and then we bounce back, uh, we consolidate. Uh, and then we break lower another leg and we count and we bounce back and consolidate. Um, and so there's basically a lack of confidence whether we have priced in the, the fair valuation of the new fundamentals of all the cattle being pulled forward. Uh, we're still uh, contracting the cow herd. We're still slaughtering cows at the highest rate that we have this year. Um, that's still a long term problem, but for now, the supply seems to be adequate. Uh, to meet demand, and so the market trying to adjust to that. And once again, that is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day Thursday. We do appreciate his time. Well, as we uh, see harvest behind us now in rural America, spring plantings ahead in 2024, and diesel fuel supplies have been tight for farmers. Aaron Rogie, Refined Fuels Project Manager with CHS and Cenex, says it looks like supplies are going to remain shorter than farmers would like. 
As we've experienced over, you know, the past 18 months to a couple years, diesel supply is tight. And we will continue to see it be tight for the foreseeable future, primarily because there are several refineries that have gone offline, some that have converted to renewable diesel. But the good news is, is that CHS really takes that into account in our planning. And we work to get every drop of diesel we can for our producers and our customers. The good news is, is we're out there spreading the word that it's critical to be mindful of your planning. She says it's a good idea to buy ahead when prices fit the budget. Invest in quality fuels that you can buy when supply is available and then use when you need it most. So buy when the contract pricing, the pricing is beneficial to the producer, but then also be able to use that quality fuel when they need it to help mitigate some of those supply roller coasters, if you will. Winter is the time to plan ahead for diesel purchases when contract pricing is beneficial for them is going to be the best time. And I would say yes, over the winter, when things have slowed down from harvest and you can take a look at planting ahead of you and forecast what those demands might be, winter is a great time to have all of those planning and strategic conversations with your sales reps. And once again, that is Aaron Rogie with CHS and Senex. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with David Widmar, economist with Agricultural Economic Insights. He joins us after the break here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, joining us now here on the program, pleased to sit down and have a wide-ranging discussion about net farm income, interest rates, and things that are driving the markets and more here throughout agriculture. Joining us, David Widmar, economist with Agricultural Economic Insights, and David it is always great to sit down and chat with you, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to join you again this week. Let's uh, let's start with far, net farm income. I know you guys have been doing some work on that at AEI, and uh, really curious your thoughts here and some of the work you've been looking at. Uh, talk to me, just where do things stand right now? Is that net farm income picture does it look good right now? What are we what are we seeing? Uh, it's been the best of times, but not everywhere, I guess is the best way to summarize that. You know, we've talked about this before. Net farm income in 2022 was a new all-time high. Farm incomes from 21, 22, and 23, if you average those three years together, it's the best three-year run that we've seen since the 1940s. I mean, in context, it's better than we saw in 2011, 12, and 13, the previous high watermark for most of our memories. But what we did is we looked at the state level story, and it's important to keep in mind that the state level uh, data are heavily influenced by the commodities grown in those specific uh, regions or areas. And so one of the things we looked at is, you know, where have farm incomes gone up the most? And not a surprise to uh, most listeners, it's been primarily in the Corn Belt and in the northern Great Plains. There's only one state that doesn't have higher income in 2022 compared to the 2016-2020 baseline, and that's the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. um, and then we looked at, you know, how do 2022 state-level incomes compare to historic 
context. And so what we can see is that, again, a lot of records have been set in the Great Plains, northern Great Plains, such as South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. Uh, some of the records actually from the 2012 era, so Michigan, Indiana, Nebraska, have some lingering records. But then there's a whole other set of records from the southern Great Plains and, and extreme north part of the country mm-hmm. uh, from the 1970s. So, again, the takeaway here, it's been a really good time in agriculture, just not for every region or every commodity. So... I'm going to follow that up with interest rates. How much are the high interest rates that we're seeing right now in this interest rate inflationary environment? How much is that playing into some of the net farm income numbers right now, David? Can you expand upon that for us? Yeah, so the most recent net farm income data comes from 2022. And that's, of course, when the Fed started raising rates. And these farm level rates really didn't start to get higher until the 2023 uh, planting season and growing season. And so we've seen a sharp into uptick from there. That's going to be a headwind. Unfortunately, we won't get those 2023 state level data until next winter or next fall. So we've got mm-hmm. to keep an eye on that. We've seen interest expense tick up sharply when it comes to uh, the national data, but we haven't seen it at the state level yet. Okay. So with interest rates there moving forward, are you worried about them having a big negative effect on net farm income moving forward? I guess, what's your take on on the current environment here? I know we got a Fed meeting coming up here again in a couple of weeks, wondering if they're going to start to cut what they're going to do. What's your take on this interest rate environment as a whole right now? We have two primary concerns right now in the interest rate environment. When we think about the farm economy we were just talking about, we've seen a sharp uptick. And that's because farm loan interest rates, like everything in the economy, those new loans are coming at a considerably higher interest rates than we've been used to. Um, now, the other thing that happens here is in agriculture, we have some debt that there's new debt, but then there's also debt that gets paid off and gets uh reissued. So if we have a farm that we paid off, we might go on and add new debt. So it's hard to understand how much of this debt is sort of getting is is truly new versus how much of it is kind of being reissued at higher levels. So the takeaway there is we believe that uh, farm level interest rates and expenses are going to uptick faster than it might initially seem. Now, a lot of the debt is long term, so it's going to take some years for some years for that to, to roll through. But we're going to see the expense continue higher. The second piece here that we're really concerned about is long term interest rates continue to go higher. So the Fed hasn't raised uh, rates but one time since January or excuse me, since June. The long term interest rates have gone up more than 150 basis points. Think about the 10 year treasury. So on the short term rates, we've seen the 25 basis point increase in the last six months, long term 150. Uh, We anticipate some of these long term loans such as machinery or land, farmland to continue to face higher interest rates in the months and all the way into 2024. So despite the Fed sort of taking a break the last six months, long-term interest rates still have upward momentum and they've been moving higher. And that I think is going to have a lot of headwind for the farm economy moving ahead. I think a lot of those conversations here, if they haven't happened already during the month of December between farmers and ranchers and their ag bankers, could be some tough conversations out there the next couple of weeks ahead, David. Yeah, I think it's really important for producers. You know, the Fed meetings get a whole lot of attention, but for the farm economy, it's the long-term rates that are most consequential. 
Keep in mind that we have this inverted yield curve. What's an inverted yield curve? That's when short-term rates are at a higher level than long-term rates. That inverted yield curve started when the Fed started to raise rates. So that was a bit of a shelter uh, or a shield. And so long-term rates haven't felt the, the upward pull as much as short-term rates. And so these long-term rates are starting to come out from underneath there and the yield curve is becoming less inverted. So uh, be prepared, be thinking about this. Uh, long-term rates have been trending higher the last several months. We are talking today with David Widmar from Agricultural Economic Insights. You can find all their great work and research at AEI.ag. David, let's talk a little more about uh, some of the things in the grains. I'll start with wheat. Wheat has been an interesting market to watch here uh, in recent days and weeks. We set some new lows and then started to rally off of it on the uh, futures board. I know um, I've been watching winter wheat planting happening and I know you're going to be keeping an eye on some of those reports that come up in January in terms of uh, how this winter wheat crop is is looking here for this year, aren't you? Yeah, there are two issues that we think are really important for the 2024 marketing year. One of them is soybeans and soybean oil, uh, domestic crushing. And the other one is wheat. And wheat isn't a very popular crop for a lot of producers, but it's very important for big parts of the country. So when we step back and look at the four decade trend it's been fewer wheat acres and that doesn't happen in a vacuum these acres aren't disappearing from production they're getting converted into corn or soybeans or milo so crops that are competing with the traditional feed grains and oilseed crops uh one of the things we've seen since the 80s is about a million fewer acres of wheat every year so we've been the big decline. Now, that's been reversed in the last few years. We've seen an uptick in wheat acres. Uh, wheat acres are still historically low, but they're mm -hmm. off their 2020 lows. So the big question mark is, where do wheat acres go in 2024? Because it's not a one-for-one -one trade off. But if you think about a million or two million acre expansion in wheat, that means fewer acres going to corn and soybean production and vice versa if we see a drop in wheat especially winter wheat that's going to result in more corn and soybeans coming into production potentially in 2024 so we got to watch that really carefully as you mentioned the usda's first estimate of winter wheat acres comes out in january mm -hmm. and that's really a first indicator of where this acreage debate for 24 is going to set up well, you mentioned soybeans, soybean crush, and I know we're still waiting to see that major expansion happen. What's some of the things you're seeing going on with that? What's some of the work and research you're doing there right now? Well, one of the things we think is really important for uh, folks to realize is we've been talking about this biofuel versus, uh, you know, biodiesel or renewable diesel versus donut oil fried food debate for the last few years. But if you really step back in the data, the amount of soybean oil, domestic soybean oil going to biofuels production, this is renewable diesel and biodiesel combined, it's been trending higher since 2016. So this data, this trend has been in the data for quite a while. It's just now coming to the forefront. And this has been a positive Demand source has been a positive source of usage. And so we're going to see how this continues to play out. But as we're sitting here in, you know, November, end of November, 1st of December, it's a key reason why this uh, price ratio is trending strongly for soybeans heading into 2024, both for the old crop we just finished up, but also that new crop we're getting ready to plant. So we'll see how domestic soybean usage, especially the crush and then the oil starts to play out. I think the other thing to keep in mind is soybean oil exports have been down. Um, mm -hmm. The food usage of that oil has been pretty flat. So this has been the only new source of demand coming out of the oil side for several years. 
Well, I know folks can learn more at AEI.ag. And with that, David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. Always great to catch up with you and have a conversation. Thanks for joining us, David. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep, talk soon. Good stuff there. Once again, David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. Again, find them online, AEI.ag. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at how the market trade wrapped up on Thursday session, and we'll have a conversation with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. He joins us next here on Market Talk. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we're wrapping up the month of November, we saw some decent strengthened corn and wheat on Thursday's trade. The soy complex was a little under pressure as we watched the latest OPEC meeting, putting some pressure on crude oil, which kind of spilled into the soy complex, it felt like. And another uh, volatile day in cattle to the downside. We're going to talk about all that more here on today's program. Joining us now for market analysis, Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. And Brian, good to catch up with you. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, watching this market trade here this week, it's uh, it's been quite interesting, but a little bit of green and quarter wheat on the day Thursday, Brian. Interesting. Yeah, you know, we did. We had some things happen here in the last 24 hours that um, – uh, I guess you can look at from from different angles, but so so a lot of times when I look at the market, you look at kind of this big picture, and then it's sort of a medium picture, and then under the microscope. So last 24 hours, I would say, is under the microscope. What does that mean? Well, we had export sales released, and those were really solid for corn and beans. So good numbers there. Had announced export sale number or announced sale on soybeans today to China, over 100,000 metric tons. So we're seeing some things there good technical trade. Yesterday, corn did break down, traded under 450 in December, down around 447, uh, closed today 461, three quarters. So pretty good jump today. No deliveries overnight. So again, looking at that kind of that microscope, it looked like a lot of farmers might have had to make a decision at the end of the month on basis contracts, whether to roll to March or some other delivery period, or just get rid of it. And I'd say a fair number of guys probably just said that's enough. I don't want to want to roll to a big carry. I got storage, you know, costs, these things mounting up. So I think that pressured the market into uh yesterday and then today. Pretty good turnaround there. Yeah, pretty good turnaround there. To your point, I've heard a lot of chatter. Some farmers have said, well, I, I put the grain in the bin, I put the quarter in the bin specifically locking the door. I'm not going to look at this until uh, 2024. Uh, mm -hmm. But to your point, you know, maybe some folks have to still move some grain. Uh, I, I think the overarching thing, I, theme, I guess, I'm hearing with corn specifically is that uh, a lot of farmers, majority anyway, are basically saying to elevators, hey, come and get this, you know, improve the basis and, and come get this if you want it is kind of what I'm hearing, Brian. 
Yeah, I think you're hearing right. I think bases will have to do the heavy lifting. And we're already seeing some sign of that in the country that farmers just put in the bin. So if they had a lot of this corn I was referring to was corn that was hauled into town and was it's already out of their hands. So they got to make a decision okay. on what to do, you know, when to price it. And if they don't price it now, they have to price it into, a, a, you know, they lose a carry into the market. So it's not like the price drops, but then they, they're, they're not any further ahead. So so I think a lot of them just decide to price that. Um, big picture perspective, export sales really good today and running ahead of the, uh, the same pace a year ago for corn. So that's encouraging. And I'm going to say maybe it's somewhat impressive here. Um, we had a good number today at around that 75 million bushel mark. In fact, I'll have it here for you just in a second. And anyway, the point I want to make, though, is that year-to-date sales, uh, 963 million bushels, and last year this time, 723 million. So pretty good pace ahead of last year. Now, last year prices were a dollar higher at this same window, um, but we're seeing some good numbers there for corn. Uh, but once, you know, once we get past this first notice day, I think corn's buttoned up pretty tight in farmers' bins. And it's going to take something to pull it out. So it's either going to have to be basis, price improvement, or both, at least over the next 25, 30 days. And we kind of face the same thing as we get toward the end of the year. Our farmers are going to dump a lot of stuff after the first, aren't they? So my point in, in all of this exercise here is that we've got upside potential for price, but I wouldn't get too far ahead of myself thinking that we've got a bull market on our hands. We still have 2.15 billion bushels of carry out until somebody tells us otherwise. And it's a little bit early yet to, to connect any dots with crop loss in the Southern Hemisphere for corn, second crop corn in particular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wheat market has been, I think, supportive to corn here uh, Thursday. And really, we've seen wheat kind of bounce off the new lows we set uh, in all three complexes here earlier in the week. And I know there's a lot of chatter about China in the market uh, looking to buy some HRW wheat Russia, some talk of maybe some export quotas or whatever the case may happen there. Who really knows? But there's been some supportive factors, I would say, in the wheat market that's helping uh, to be supportive uh, to the corn here late in the week. There has. It got cheap on the board. It had a number of down days, the RSI, the relative strength index, um, stochastic. All of those things got into pretty deep oversold territory. And then uh, on top of that, you mentioned some fundamentals. Again, drops in the bucket, but Australia got some very, very heavy rains, slowing some of their harvest or maybe damaging some of the harvestable wheat in an already drought-stricken year due to El Nino. So you've got a lot of there's always things in motion, right? Probably the one that stood out, and I don't really quite understand it, would be the, the, the Russian news where Russia made limit exports or quotas, as you said. And I'm thinking, hmm, is that a ploy to try and get the market up a little bit so they can load more? I uh, don't know, but if, if it was, it's working. We had double-digit gains in Chicago today. Uh, March wheat, as an example, now closed higher third consecutive session after after scoring new contract lows on the 27th. And today was our highest close here on the wheat market since mid-November. So two weeks removed, we're we're back, and we're just at some we're just over. I can't tell my chart. Some mm-hmm. pretty key moving averages, the 40 and 50 days sort of pancake right there. It looks like we closed just a sliver above them. How about that soybean trade? A little little bit of pressure there on Thursday. I know soybeans have largely been 
driven by South American weather and still are here at this juncture. I think sure. maybe some crude oil pressure, though, uh, on the day with the OPEC meeting going on, felt like maybe that influenced soy oil a little bit, which kind of helped keep a lid on, on soybeans to some degree, plus a stronger U.S. dollar. That seemed like the two factors to me that kept the lid on things on Thursday, Brian. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with everything you said for Thursday. Um, and the you know, crude oil prices have been all over the map today, sharply higher, yeah. lower, down about $2 a barrel as we speak. Um, so it does look like OPEC's going to cut. I think the bigger picture, why, why crude, I, some are probably wondering, well, why isn't crude just taking off if OPEC's cutting? Well, we've got excess production actually here in the U.S., believe it or not, or excess supply because of right refining capacity and whatnot. But um, when you kind of step back, I think the bigger overriding, overarching concern there is just economically, both domestically and worldwide. Do we have the kind of economy to, you know, absorb $90, $100 crude oil or, or are we, you know, real cautious? I think you'd be cautious right now. Um, all, all, all kinds of leading information out there. Uh, the bond market's really taken off lately. Expectations are that interest rates probably come down in the first or second quarter. But then you talk to other people and they say, no, the economy is going to be pretty rough then, too. Um, and, um, and we still have an abated inflation. So we'll see what happens there. But suffice it to say, a lot of volatility in crude oil, wheat finding some traction, uh, corn finding some traction here on a Thursday. And does it change the big picture much? Um, it's hard to get overly optimistic on corn and wheat right today, knowing what we know fundamentally and what's been driving the market downward. As we look at things, wrapping up the month of November, getting into December, uh, Brian, it's been a couple of weeks since you and I talked here with the holiday. Anything changed for you as far as risk management here across this grain complex as a whole? Anything you want to mention and reiterate to folks there as they're thinking about things right now? Well, in, in particular, if we get a rally in this corn market here, there's there's a lot of carry in the market. So the market is telling you to store grain, but at some point you got to just sell that grain into the carry. And, you know, I can get a little complicated. My expertise, if you will, or forte is in the option market. And I can look at things like this and say, well, you know, you could defend that carry with a fence. That's buy, put, sell a call. Or you could just sell a call against stored inventory and collect premium. And that call premium that we'd look to sell might make up the uh, carry charge differentials. So there are some things there, but suffice it to say, we're still in these big long-term downtrends. Um, initially, when they turn, it's hard to tell if you've actually turned or not. So I think you still have to be in the mindset initially. If you're not where you want to be in sales, make sure you try and make some sales on up days or multiple up days and main, maintain that that approach. Um, we're not going to run out of corn tomorrow. We got plenty of it around. Well, once again, that is the voice of Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, joining us for analysis here today. We're going to talk livestock coming up here after the break. A few of the closes from Thursday, December corn up 12, 461 and three quarters. March corn, seven higher, 482 and three quarters. Soybeans, January down four and a quarter, 1342 and three quarters. March beans down three and a quarter, 1362 and a quarter. December bean meal down 210 a ton, 442.20. December bean oil down 39 points, 52.29. January bean meal back up down $3 a ton, 424. January bean oil down 38 points at 52.26. 
Chicago wheat, December 14 and a quarter higher, 570 and a quarter. March up 12 and a quarter, 598. KC wheat, December up three and a quarter, 643 and a quarter. March up eight and three quarters at 643. December spring wheat up five and three quarters, 702 and a half. March up four and a quarter, 729 and a half. Live cattle, December down 102, 170, 87. We saw February lives down 165, 171, 82. January feeder cattle down 225, 219.95. March down 170, 222.57. Hogs, December 20, lower 68.77. February up 137 at 71.47. That is a recap of some of the closes from Thursday's session. We'll continue our conversation with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing on the way after this here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing is joining us here for conversation and market analysis today on Market Talk. Brian, let's go over to livestock. I'd love your thoughts in this cattle market because I made the the joke to you before we went on and I made it a couple times this week. I said, I didn't even buy a ticket to this roller coaster ride yet. I'm on it with everyone else here. Uh you know, we've been talking about it all yeah. week and another reversal downward after a couple up days here at cattle. So what is going on with this futures trade right now, Brian? Yeah, well, a lot of volatility and, and it's not unusual when markets, so I'm not calling a low, but when they when they get toward the top or bottom, they get real volatile or really jumpy and big, sharp down days and real big, sharp up days. And that's what we had this week uh, in the cattle complex. Then, then then you know back down today and then well it finished off but not not nearly as far as an example 170.87 low price was 169.10 in december cattle so it's a dollar 60 off the low uh the high is uh uh 172.35 we're way off the high so uh, a lot of volatility i think the market's trying to figure out if in fact we can get enough demand generated now that we're back under 300 dollars on choice cuts and and under $300 on select, around that 270, 275 area there. Um, certainly, I think the economic concerns are about higher interest rates catch up to people over time. Rates go up tomorrow. It's not going to affect your eye much tomorrow, but when we're paying bills down the road for five, six months in a row with a higher interest rate charge on whatever we borrowed our money for, it's another thing that adds up. Um, and you've got Christmas around the corner and credit card debt rising and all this economic theory on what could happen in a couple of wars. So it just seems to me the cattle market, what's plagued it is it tipped over and it tipped over as the managed money and, and you know, and the rest of us looked at it, just how can you sustain demand at that higher level? We know it's tight supply, but how do you sustain it? And that's the big thing. Nothing's changed there. It's the same supply of cattle it was a month ago. We don't change the cattle herd in a month. Uh, you may change some flow of it, but um, I think the market's trying to find an equilibrium price where it'll clear demand and um, 
maybe this is it around the 170 to 175 on the lives. Feeders have been all over the map. I thought they were well overbought to begin with. Maybe I could say that live cattle too. But now they're trying to find an equilibrium point. I think they'll find their buying interest in here. I wonder too, with all this volatility in futures, I would think until we settle that down that we could have a little disconnect with the cash side of the uh, cattle market here, Brian. I guess, I don't know, maybe you can talk to me about that a little bit, but I just have to think until we find that equilibrium here in futures, cash uh, could be a little disconnected from, from the futures trade. In high volatile markets, it is, but ultimately, the the I you know the concept of the marketplace is that's emerging over time in the front months of cash and meets futures. The live cattle contract is still a deliverable contract, so um, you know cash and and the futures will likely come together. I think the big picture though is kind of really interesting because as you look ahead, uh, you look ahead the next December, next February, next April, April one eighty three eighty two. It's got a premium to this year is, is 183 historically is a fantastic price. Now we're looking at that with, you know, mm, kind of, we're not so sure. Maybe that can still run to 200 yet. Um, you've got to hold these heifers back. You got to hold the cows back. Uh, you got to have cheap feed supply, which we have. Uh, so when you hold those cows and heifers back, I, you know, one 180 ish area on that might, might still be uh, on the low scale as we, probably get toward 200 um mm. it, it all boils down to demand we we have a pretty good hand on what we think the supply is and it's tight it's historically tight yeah very true how about this uh dairy market we haven't uh, got an update on that in a little bit what, anything you're seeing move there as we wrap up the month of november and move to december yeah just one word ugly um mm. <laughs> it it fell off a cliff and it hasn't looked back i think we're down 10 out of 11 days in a row now um, just a real steep downturn there. Tough to be bearish. I haven't been bearish the milk. I just felt that we'd get you know, some market clearing forces here. Butter take a big hit here from where it was. So butter kind of helped lead this rally into the early fall. But uh, despite expectations for tighter inventory of cattle and a little bit less milk supply, the market hasn't found its footing yet. And so you got to wonder if we can't hold in this $16 area if we're not going to revisit that 1450 from a couple of years ago before the market had its bull run, maybe that's where the market's destined. I don't think so. I think, I think the market has already made a real strong measure. If you look at the way cattle market went down, the way dairy went down, the market's anticipating that the consumer spending dollar is being stretched a little further, but it's not obliterated. It's just being stretched a little further. Compounding this for both the cattle and, and the, dairy outlook and and so these futures markets can change quickly but jeepers if you look at well, the way the stock market has been on a real strong tear lately and again up today the consumer's got to have a little bit more confidence you're only human nature when you see the market gain two or three thousand points in a short period of time you're like well my my portfolio is not so bad so uh i i think that's going to probably lead to more if the stock market holds up to more probably um, restaurant purchases and just more money being spent on food for Christmas and beyond. Well, Brian, if folks have questions, want to reach out to you there at Total Farm Marketing, I know they can get a hold of you, phone, email, website, a lot of great ways to get in touch. How can they reach you, Brian? Thank you, Jesse. The, the easiest way is with a phone call, 800-334-9779. We really like to hear what people are saying, if that makes any sense. 
you can hear voice, you can kind of hear the body language. Um, or shoot me an email, Brian with a Y at totalfarmmarketing.com or check out our website, www.totalfarmmarketing.com. Always a pleasure, Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing. Thanks for joining us today on Market Talk. Have a great weekend, Brian. We'll talk to you next week. Very well. Thank you. All right. We're out of time here on Market Talk. Thank you for joining us. As always, making us part of your conversation. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.